Here we go. You're listening to Monday's Law and Gospel on this July the 13th in the year of our Lord 2020. I'm Pastor Tom Baker. And on Mondays, we take a look at one of the readings for the coming Sunday, which is the seventh Sunday after Pentecost, July the 19th in the year of our Lord 2020. And the readings are from Isaiah 44, Romans 8, and Matthew 13. We're going to be talking about the doorway effect. Do you know what that is? Well, as we go through the text, we'll explain that. It is something that happens particularly with older adults, the doorway effect. And it's really a good part of today's lesson. Romans chapter 8 is what we're going to be looking at. Romans 8, beginning with verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now, obviously, he's talking about the glory after Judgment Day, when you will be like back in the Garden of Eden before the fall of Adam and Eve into sin. And therefore, the sufferings of this time are not worth comparing with that which we will be experiencing after Judgment Day. In fact, we recognize that, that sometimes we're willing to endure sufferings because of something greater going to be happening in our lives. This is even in the temporal realm, the earthly realm. For example, when you go to the dentist, you know there's going to be some suffering But you go there in order to keep greater suffering, perhaps, from happening to your teeth. And when you see a doctor and he prescribes medicine that does not taste good, you're still willing to take it and suffer with it because of the greater good. Well, so also we in the world, we are often in a suffering situation. But none of that is worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed on Judgment Day. And who can forget the suffering that Jesus endured on the cross? He willingly went to the cross, telling his disciples, it is necessary that I go to Jerusalem in order to be put to death. But I will rise Three days later, it seems they didn't hear very well the three days later and were trying to protect him from death, which, of course, was not going to happen. But what this text does, it says that many of the sufferings that we endure are really part of creation. Verse 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What is Paul talking about here? When we talk about creation, we're talking about the universe. We're talking about the planets. We're talking about any part of creation, like the weather, etc. 
verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. What does that mean? When Adam and Eve fell into sin, things started going wrong in creation. Prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, there were no tornadoes in the Garden of Eden. There were no, there was no flooding. Uh, there was no cataclysmic, uh, universal type of things happening. I was recently, I kind of enjoy uh, watching YouTube, and one of the items that always interests me is the photographs and the videos of the tsunami. And saw one with five greatest tsunamis with waves really, really high uh, because of earthquakes or landslides that had occurred uh, in the ocean and caused a huge wave to come across. That's really what the world is now subjected to, the creation. And it says God subjects it. Why? In hope, verse 21, Romans 8, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. One YouTube I saw recently uh, talked about four or five huge catastrophes that could still occur and yet haven't happened. Uh, one of them was talking about the faults along the West Coast, Los Angeles, and even further north. And it was showing that a huge wave could come and destroy much of the West Coast and kill many people. And then they talked about volcanoes that are about to erupt in other parts of the world. The creation itself became part of the fall of man and woman into sin. And it according to Paul, looks forward to the freedom of the children of God because we know that when judgment day comes and we are in heaven, all things will be working as God so intended them at the time of creation. What kind of creation we will have, there's only tidbits of interest there will be trees because the tree of life will be there. There will be water. There will be fruit. But all believers will be with Jesus. And we will be free from the futility of creation. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, what Paul is doing, he's kind of doing a metaphor. Had Eve given birth to Cain in the Garden of Eden, she would have done so without any pain. But that was part of the consequence of the fall, the pains of childbirth. And Paul kind of compares that to the groanings of creation. I mean, how many people have you heard 
when they were involved with a tornado, and they say it sounds like a rushing train coming toward us. Great noise. And how many people are afraid of storms with thunder and lightning? I mentioned recently that I knew of a person who would go and hide in a closet when there was a lightning storm with great thunder. Now, it's not only creation that has exhibited consequences of the fall. Listen to verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So Paul here is talking to believers. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, young people, sometimes they're experiencing that if they get the flu or they have a headache. But the older you get, the more your body appears to entertain the consequences of sin because of its aging. In Monday, July the 13th, Portals of Prayer, and we really encourage you to get a copy of this. The July portals are written by Mrs. Hannah Jackson, St. Louis, Missouri. And then they are edited by Scott Kinneman and Paul McCain, a good friend of mine at Concordia Publishing House. Listen to her first paragraph. I never heard this before, but it makes sense. You need a stamp, so you go to your home office to get one. As you enter the room, you stop and try to remember why you went there. Know that you are not alone. Psychological studies have shown that this is more than a side effect of aging. It is called the doorway effect. Passing through a doorway can cause a mental block in one's brain, sort of resetting the memory for new events there. Now, I never heard of that, but it certainly does make sense because I'm aware of individuals who you tell them something, they go ahead and do it, and then they come back and say, what was it that you asked me to do? So I was going to make a rule here at our house that nobody can go through a doorway. Well, that's not possible because I'm looking down the hallway right now, and there's one, two, three, four, five doors. So it's impossible not to go through a doorway. Now she continues the lesson referring to Jesus, God's son. He calls himself the door. He's a good shepherd. He is Lord. He loves us. Jesus works in his father's name. So in this world, that's the temporal realm, we see the side effects of aging and question the Lord. We experience doorway effects. We also erect our own mental blocks. Hearing Jesus' voice, though, we fill our ears with wool 
instead of following him. We don't trust the good shepherd. We disregard time in the pasture of his word. We are poor, sinful sheep. But the good shepherd, our door, lovingly seeks us. His doorway effect offers life. With his gift of faith, we will enter into eternal life, reset as his new creation. Jesus is Lord. No one can snatch us out of his hand. And that's also the prayer and the devotion for Monday, July 13th in Concordia Publishing House, Portals of Prayer. And you can phone Concordia Publishing House and get copies of this. The number is 1-800-325-3040. And each booklet has three months of devotions. This has for July, August, and September. And there's different writers for each month. So that's something I didn't know, the doorway effect. But it sure fits with Romans 8. Because, as verse 23 says, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, that means we have been baptized, we also groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. You can talk to any pastor who's been in a congregation for some years. And he will tell you that often when he goes to see certain shut-ins whose spouses have died, maybe they don't have children, they don't have many visitors, they're eagerly waiting for the redemption of their bodies as they will fall asleep in this temporal world and go to heaven. So in verse 24, now in this hope, We were saved. Now, what does hope mean? Paul now explains that in verse 24. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? I'll give you an example. On Friday... When our children were younger, we would often go out on Saturday or Sunday uh, shopping, and I would say, well, tomorrow we're going to go to McDonald's. And they really believe me, and they have a hope that they're going to be able to go to the McDonald's restaurant. Now, when we get there, they no longer have hope because they're there. They see it. They're eating the sandwich. So hope is always in regard for what we do not see. Verse 25 explains it. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The Apostle Paul is a great example. He was whipped a number of times, he was in prison, he was without food, and yet he had this sure hope. He even mentioned once, it was far better to be with the Lord than here on earth. 
But for your sakes, he was willing to stay on earth in order to share the wonderful message of the comfort and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. So what is the substance of our hope as Christians? When we look around at creation and we bemoan the natural disasters that take place, we as Christians realize that those were subjected by God himself in order that not only creation would hope for a better time, but that we also would look to this bondage of decay that occurs even in our bodies and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God that will occur at the time we die when our spirit will be with Jesus and on the day of resurrection when our bodies fully cleaned and cleansed will be restored to our spirit. And we will live in a heavenly glory, much like the Garden of Eden. In fact, that heavenly glory in the book of Revelation is described as the Garden of Eden that Adam and Eve were formerly in prior to their fall. And who knows where that Garden of Eden is going to take place in your own life at the time of your death. Every night you go to bed, you may not wake up. But if you do wake up, not here on earth, you will be in the presence of Jesus as you have faith. Now, where does that faith come from? Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit, and that's capitalized, referring to the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness. This next statement is something that every Christian should take to heart. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Now, how many times when we are in need, we desire to pray to God for help, but we're not sure how to put it to him. Guess what? Don't worry about that because I only read part of the verse 26. Let me continue with the whole 26. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You see, the letter to the Ephesians talks about that in Christ we have risen from the dead. We are now alive in Christ. We also have received the gift of the forgiveness of sins, and God no longer holds us accountable for our sins. But Ephesians also says that we also have ascended to the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Jesus is at the right hand of God. That is what is meant by the ascension. We are part of the body of Christ. And being part 
of the body of Christ means that he is the head and we are the body. Wherever the head is, so also is the body. Therefore, when we pray, we may not know how to pray for what we really should be praying for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts know what is the mind of the Spirit. Verse 27 is so comforting because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, that verse can be so comforting because a lot of times if you're talking to, say, a shut-in who can hardly speak and they're not really sure how to pray Well, we pastors during devotion definitely have a prayer for them. But the word I always want to leave them is their thoughts are understood by the one who knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And that's particularly Jesus Christ. How many times in his ministry on earth, people, they see him do a miracle, and they are hearing that he says he is the Son of Man, the Messiah. But in their minds, they're saying, no, this is a carpenter from Nazareth. There's no way he can be God. And Jesus read their minds, and he says, I know what you are thinking. And sometimes he'll give a parable to express to them that what they're thinking is improper. So the Spirit intercedes for the saints that is spontaneous it's not something you have to work on it really doesn't matter Uh, for example uh, maybe you have a child she's eight years old and she sees other children who have bicycles so she comes to you and she says dad i like to have a bicycle do you go right out and, and buy one for her immediately and give it to her and walk away? No. You you make a plan. You intercede for her. You may decide to give it as a birthday present. But when you give it to her, it may have training wheels on the back. And you're with her during her first few days riding the bike until she gets good enough where you can take the training wheels off. You see, she asks for something. And you responded in a way that was for her good. That's what the Holy Spirit does for you. Don't be afraid to say anything to God. You may be going through a time of suffering, and many Christians have this attitude. They, they say, what did I do to deserve this? That may even be a sentiment that you send to God. But the Holy Spirit refashions that word and indicates to you that it will be answered by God always to your good. Jesus himself says, call me in the day of trouble and I will respond. 
for you are always with me. In fact, we can also say, he is always with you. And so we find here in Romans 8 a wonderful passage indicating that even when we have the problem of the doorway effect, that's just because we're living in a sinful world and the consequences of sin erupt not only our own lives, but also all of creation, all of whom looks forward to the end, the day of judgment. Now, in light of today's, we're taking a look at tomorrow's Law and Gospel with Mark Smith and myself, Tom Baker, as we look at the hymn entitled, In Holy Conversation, and we're going to get into what prayer is. Join us tomorrow. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.